This is the best, 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 best practices in education and Odyssey School podcast. Let's fly away in a cloud. This podcast aims to offer professional resources, practical tools, and inspiring conversations to teachers and parents in their quest for excellent education. And the trees are rainbow, and you'll see the corn every now and then because that's not weird at all. Welcome to Best Practices, an Odyssey School podcast. My name is Corey Adams, and I'll be your host. Today, we're joined by high school science teacher Andrew Rabin. Andrew attended Earlham College for an undergraduate degree in biology, Prescott College in Arizona for his teaching license, and has a master's of ecological teaching and learning from Leslie University in Massachusetts. Andrew is a lifelong learner and is passionate about science as a means of understanding the world around us. Andrew, I would love for you to share about your topic today, which is the life cycle analysis project and why you chose to do your best practice on this. Um, Sure, thanks. Uh, First of all, I'm just glad to be here again. Um, So the life cycle analysis project is something that I I did myself as a graduate student when I was at uh, Leslie University. and the basic idea is, you know, it's you, you pick a thing, an object of some importance to you, and you, you, you research its entire life cycle. So just like living things have a life cycle, they're born, they develop, they grow, they, they go through old age, and they die. Um, the things that we buy, the materials that are part of our life, also go through a life cycle like that. Um, so I did this program in, in graduate school, and I... You know, I really enjoyed this project, and I wanted to share this this project with students. At, as I am now that I'm teaching, uh, and the way it's found its home here uh, in the deep ecology class, uh, which is a, a sort of senior level capstone science class, um, and uh, the students basically are doing the same project as what I did. They have them pick a pick a thing um, that is sort of near and dear to them or important to them, and they research uh, how, what it's made of, first of all, um, where each of those parts come from, like how are they, you know, if it's, if it's a, a, a metal, how is it mined, how is it extracted, if it's something that's grown, um, how is it grown, where is it grown, what impacts does growing it have on, on other resources, um, and then to the production phase where all of these things are put together. So how is this thing made? Mm-hmm. Um, to then how is it distributed? How does it get from where it's made to where it's bought? And often this isn't just a nice linear thing. Sometimes things travel across the ocean several times as parts come from different parts of the world. Um, and then finally, well, not finally, then uh, to consumption. So then that's that's the this is the part that you and I are most familiar with because this is where we buy something Mm -hmm. um and you know this is uh called the golden arrow and it's kind of all we see is is the part of this materials economy where we are purchasing the thing um we don't really know much usually about how it's produced or where the materials are extracted 
And then after we're done with it, whatever it happens to be, whatever its useful life is, you know, um, sometimes it's days, years, um, minutes, decades, um, then the item gets disposed of. And then this is the other part that most people don't put too much thought in, which is where do these things go uh, when we're done with them? So can it be recycled? Can parts of it be recycled? If it goes to a landfill, you know, here in Asheville, where does that go? What does that mean? Um, you know, does it go to, uh, which landfill does it go to? If it gets recycled, where does that go? You know. I'm curious before we get into the value of this kind of project, what kinds of things have been chosen? Sure. So, um, so just to give you an example of um, some of the topics that students have chosen. Um, I've had students choose like soap or toothpaste, um, pencils, um, uh, water bottles, plastic water bottles, metal water bottles. Um, you know, so I encourage them to pick things that, uh, you know, have some relevance to them, things that they use on a regular basis. Uh, some students pick more complex things, and I generally try and dissuade them from picking something like, say, a cell phone or a computer. Um, because sort of once you start going down all these rabbit holes, you find very quickly that a, something like a cell phone or a computer is made of probably thousands of sure. different things. Sure. Um, and each of those is, you know, the systems get very, very complex. Um, but one of the things I really appreciate about this project is even something simple, like a water bottle or a pencil, um, there's kind of these aha moments where kids are like, wow, I had no idea that there was so much involved in in the in the life cycle of this thing. Mm -hmm. Tell me more about that. Tell me more about how this project, what it does for students and what it is that you're asking of them in the way that they think about the world. Sure. Um, so, I mean, one of the important outcomes for for all of my students in all of my science classes is that they become systems thinkers, you know, and that, you know, it means that they are, are thinking about all of the various inputs and outputs and, and complex interactions mm -hmm. in, in the, in the natural world and the man-made world. Um, and this project, I think, does this really well. You know, it takes mm -hmm. this, uh, it takes this one thing, you know, what, you know, the, the pencil, the water bottle, and it, it makes the the invisible visible for them, right? Yeah. So like, all of a sudden, they can see. Okay, there's this whole story. Um, you know, this thing had a whole nother life before it became part of my life. Yeah, I really love how when you were sharing with the faculty, there were a lot of different visualizations about systems thinking and just kind of naming those pieces of what help guide students, which are looking at events or patterns and trends and what the underlying structures are. And I hear in what you're saying that when you ask the students to pick that thing, they start to have to dive in more deeply. Right. Yeah. But, uh, one of the systems visualization tools we use is the iceberg model, mm -hmm. um, where, you know, you sort of, there's, there's the, the, tip that's above the water, which is the thing that we can see or the event or the, you know, whatever the phenomenon is that sort of happens on a on a day to day basis. And then there's all of the story that is invisible that's underneath the water, the the, the processes involved in the light life cycle. Yeah, I'm wondering if you can give an example, and it could even be from the project that you did that's sort of the primary model for this of what that looked like. So 
I know it's very comprehensive and deep, but I can, I can uh, abridge it. <laughs> Somewhat. <laughs> Great. Um, so yeah, so when I did this project myself uh, in graduate school. I chose something that I used very frequently that I had a whole lot of, which was um, reusable uh, shopping bags. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I have just sort of accumulated, you know, probably dozens of them. Uh, and the, you know, they come in a couple different kinds. You have the there's the nice sort of canvas ones um, that are pretty durable, and most of them are. Um, basically plastic, uh, mm-hmm. which is a, they're made out of a woven kind of plastic called polypropylene, um, which is what most of the reusable shopping bags that that are, that are people use these days. Um, and I wanted to like figure out, okay, well, what's the story with these? How, where, did they, where did these come from? Um, and, you know, I, I started way back at the beginning. I, I figured, well, okay, plastic's made of carbon. Where does carbon come from? Okay, carbon's formed in the heart of uh, large stars by the <laughs> process of uh, fusion. Helium fuses into beryllium and so on. Um, but then fast forward, carbon comes from fossil fuels. And so fossil fuels come from uh, dead, mostly dead plankton mm-hmm. uh, from about 300 million years ago compressed, cooked <laughs> over time. And at some point in the last, you know, 100 years or so, that, that uh, well, probably more recently for my uh, grocery bag, um, was extracted from the earth. Um, I don't know exactly where, maybe the Middle East, maybe Venezuela, maybe the United States, maybe Russia. These are some of the places where uh, oil tends to come out of the earth. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I found out about my plastic bag is that it was made from recycled plastic, which means that uh-huh. it had a whole nother life before it was a plastic bag. So I assumed, okay, well, I don't, I don't know what it is. I'm just going to assume that it's a, it was a water bottle. Mm-hmm. So the oil uh, gets separated into various components, one of which is something called naphtha, which again gets turned into all kinds of different plastics. Um, and then that plastic can get molded into water bottles. This most likely happened in China. This thing probably went across the, o- the ocean several times in the course of its life. Mm-hmm. Then it got sent back to China. Um, this is sort of a one point where the story is different today than it would be uh, when I told it because recycled materials today uh, from the United States, recycled plastic does not go to China because they're no longer accepting our plastic, which is mm-hmm. um, pretty kind of interesting. Um, and uh, it gets pelletized and then they f- make it into this fabric and they weave the fabric and they can make all kinds of things like grocery bags and they print on them and then it gets shipped back to wherever the grocery store in the United States where I ended up with it. Um, And then there's the sort of useful life part of it. Well, how long do these things last? Uh, Sometimes they get holes in them. Sometimes they wear out. They certainly get dirty. Mm -hmm. Um, You really do need to clean them. Um, But once they're sort of no longer useful, they really can't be recycled again. And then that's sort of the end of their useful life. They can be repurposed, I suppose. Um, and then where do they go? They're going to go to a landfill. And because mm. it's polypropylene just persists in the environment, for, especially in landfill environments, which have no oxygen, um, they don't degrade. They're just going to stay there for thousands of years. Um, wow. Yeah. So one of the, one of the other pieces that I looked at was like, how, how does this compare to 
um, how sustainable is this? Like compare this to say using the the, the one single use plastic bags. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a whole lot less resources that go into the single use bags than go into making one of those reusable ones. Um, so you have to use them for, I think, years. I don't remember exactly wow. how many times to yeah. actually balance out. Otherwise, it's actually better for the environment to use the single-use bags, which is wow. You're not going to hear I'm, an, you're I, not hear you an environmentalist hear say that. You can't hear my mind being blown, <laughs> right. but my mind just So you actually blown. have to use them for a long time. So like if you just use them for a short bit and then just <clears> kind of throw them away, it's yeah, they're not actually that sustainable. So interesting. And it, what you're describing is so complex, all of the different pieces that are involved in considering and thinking about that. And, you know, for our audience, I'm curious for teachers who, and and I'm just going to remind listeners that what I heard is this is a senior capstone mm-hmm. project. So these are kids who are not building those foundational skills of just how to do basic Um, information gathering and research writing, but there are folks who have those things in place, and then we're asking them to sort of dive deeper. But if you're a high school teacher and you're interested in doing this kind of work, how would you direct them in searching? Sure. Um, So a couple resources that I used. um, One excellent one is although it's geared for slightly younger audience, is the the Story of Stuff video, and then they have a... um, they have a website that has a variety of materials, some of it dealing with life cycles of different things like plastic and water and water bottles and things like that. Um, but that's a great resource. They talk about this sort of materials economy, uh, how material flows through this 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 from extraction to production, distribution, consumption, and disposal. Um, so that's a good resource, the Story of Stuff website and, the, and their videos. And then the other one... Um, that I think is geared more towards a high school audience. Um, there was a curriculum uh, created by uh, Facing the Future called Buy, Use, Toss. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and they also have a, a website. And I think this is all, this is free. It's available on, on online. Um, and they have a whole uh, curriculum that I think, you know, you could probably span, uh, you know, several weeks to even a month or two. Um, really looking at different parts of this material economy and the different parts of the life cycle of various things um, and their impacts. And, and it's it's a very good uh, systems thinking analysis. And is it primarily science oriented? Well, it I mean, it, I can't remember the, the subtitles. It's interdisciplinary, mm-hmm. um, which is uh, which is one of the things I think is important for students to understand also that systems thinking really is you know it's not just a science project or a science problem that they're trying to solve sure. um, the problems are interdisciplinary so the the learning should be interdisciplinary i mean i can see it this kind of lesson landing just as comfortably in a science class like deep ecology or environmental science or biology as it would in in a humanities class mm-hmm. um, i'm curious i'd love to just hear your you reflect a little about how students emerge at the end of this project and what you what the impact is that you see with them sure um so, uh, so we just did our um, student-led conferences uh, a couple weeks ago and uh, you know where students are kind of reflecting on their learning and sort of what's what have what they've what have been sort of victories and challenges and and one of the really recurring victories that I hear from many many students is this life cycle analysis project how it was like it really opened their eyes and they mm. made them think about 
things in a new way. And they also just really enjoyed it um, because they were picking things, you know, it was their yeah. choice of what to study and what to, what to do the research on. It wasn't like I said, okay, you have to do, you know, you have to research this thing. Um, so, yeah. So, so there's a great intersection of their own interest combined with all of these different pieces mm-hmm. being added into it. I love that. Andrew, it's been great to have you back on the show. Thank you so much for sharing with us. Thank you, Corey. Thoroughly enjoyed it. This has been Best Practices in Education, an Odyssey School podcast. It was recorded here in our music studio in Asheville, North Carolina at Odyssey School, engineered by our music director, River Gargarian, and the original theme music was created by the Misfits of Cragberry, an Odyssey student band. Let's fly away in a cloud Oh, I wanted to just mention this little bit because I think it really speaks to who Andrew is as a teacher, that he is really a lifelong earner. <laughs> I hope to be earning all my life, <laughs> except when I retire. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I, oh, God. This is just.